Hello, this is the Scottish Football Show and here's what we've got coming up. Rangers go top to ramp up the title tilt. Pillow talk, what's the best football tat you own? And gingang gully gully goal goal in Brasidi's late dramatics. Firstly, apologies for that gingang gully gully goal goal. It's because, and you'll learn later on in the pod, there's a goalie who scores a goal, and that's the best headline I could give you. So hello, listeners. I'm Andrew Slavin, your host in this latest instalment of the Scottish Football Show. We don't pretend to be bigger than ourselves, and we're probably the small guy in the football pie, but that's why we try to marshal the midfield without scoring any own goals in defence of our beautifully batshit game. Two-footing her way into the podcast is none other than TNT senior producer Laura Brannan and a man who can't wait for blue cards to be introduced into football. It's creative director at Melbourne City FC, Burnley Marks. How are you? Hello. Yeah, hello. Good, thanks. I Can can you actually explain what blue cards are? I've seen my mates chatting in other groups about it. Is it something that is like a Sinbin card? That's exactly what it is. Did you not see the IFAB? kind of rules it was like two weeks ago it's a bit um old news but yeah they're talking about bringing in blue cards and uh just so if you get a blue card you're effectively on the sidelines for 10 minutes if you get two blue cards it would be effectively a red card just like two yellows but i think uefa are going to kibosh it anyway i don't think they're interested in it at all because it's absolutely it is is nonsense by the way i think i haven't i haven't seen much about it but i saw my friends on an epl whatsapp group have got they were all for it and i'm just like why and to be honest of all the things i've heard the best thing i've heard anybody say about it is big Ange because he was asked about it in a press conference at spurs and he was just like essentially football is this it's so popular because it's so simple and while all other sports around the world are trying to simplify make things easier for some reason football's trying to go the other way it's mad yeah. so no thanks no blue cards <laughs> <laughs> laura how have you been i saw you were at brentford the other day i was at brentford against liverpool stalking andy robertson <laughs> will give me a scottish touch to any english game and i'm quite happy <laughs> can you also give us a little bit of detail about something you sent us over the weekend which were a number of weird selfies that um peter crouch took on your mobile phone <laughs> <laughs> yeah we, we saw the the tnt sports talent as they call them which is the kind of the former players are, are the pundits on the show it's minging in it i hate it's that such phrase a strange in the game title, yeah. oh the talent the talent will be here in half an hour oh the talent oh that this this space is for the talent He's a break, it's man. Such a strange term that is so I'm so used to hearing in the industry, but when you actually think about it, people who are not in the industry must be like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> the, um, the pundits, shall we just call them for the <laughs> let's let's play it down a bit. <laughs> um, part of the the kind of stuff I need to do is get like a, a recorded uh, tune in message so they can put it on like Instagram stories to say they like the games on TNT Sports. Tune in at eleven o'clock. Um, I handed Peter Crouch my phone and it was like giving your phone to your dad. He was like, <laughs> uh, hold on a minute. Um, um, oh, that's a photo I've taken. Uh, hold on. Oh, that's a photo. That's a photo. Got my phone back at the end of it. He did do the message, fair enough. But I had about five selfies of him looking like a thumb uh, down the lens, not quite <laughs> sure what he was doing. <laughs> oh, well, let's let's continue the laughs here. Let's keep it going. Um, because it was a pretty 
fun-filled weekend for some, maybe not for some others, but um, sh- shall I kick things off with some of the best co-commentary that I've heard in ages? Uh, particularly from the Friday night game, which is still my favourite time uh, for Scottish football right now. Friday night football is amazing, especially in the Championship, when you've got a top-of-the-table clash. Wraith Rovers against Dundee United. An amazing wonder goal in this game from their captain, Scott Brown. But the best moment in the whole game was when uh, there was a challenge, which was a bit of a, you know, a clash of heads. And uh, I can't remember the two players, but I do remember that one of them is called Dick. And uh, the Dundee United player went uh, got challenged by Dick. And Michael uh, Stewart goes like, oh, yeah, Dick in the mouth. <laughs> oh, dear. It was oh, um, the actual challenge itself. I think it was actually the Dundee United player that backed into the Wraith player. But he kind of like jumps as if he's going up for a header, but also jumping backwards about five yards to try and make it look like he's jumping for the header. It was an ambitious attempt to try and do it. But yeah, it was good. That... By the way, that winner, I mean, like, the, we'll get onto it later, but the championship's just brilliant all the time. What a yeah. way to win a top-of-the-table clash. Unreal. I know we had uh, we had the Arbroath um, substitute goalkeeper, like, what, last month? Scored a rasper. But this one could just top it. I don't know. Like, Can I just bring up something that I hope people will have seen because it's really hard to describe on a podcast? Did you see the goal that Lauren Shankland, you know, he's scoring goals left, right and centre for hearts, scoring goals like they're going out of fashion in the league. But you can see the confidence that he's got at the moment because the goal that he scored in training against (laughs) Craig Gordon made him look like an absolute mug. I've watched this, right, about 50 times. I still don't know. Like I try and work out in my brain, how do you move your foot like that to make the ball do that? I still don't know. It's like up there for me with like the bear camp goal, the classic bear camp goal against Newcastle. It's like I just can't oh, figure really? out how you would make your feet do that. Oh, it's insane, man. I he kind of basically back heels it with his right foot, but positions his left foot behind himself to almost like cannon the ball off his back left foot and then towards the goal. Ah, oh, it's dead easy. Oh, aye. Okay. <laughs> I just, I would just end up in a mess on the floor, tripping myself up if I tried to do that. I just think it's, it's, it's not just that. It's past the arguably the best goalkeeper in the country as well. Like it's nothing. It's just, oh, it's fantastic. sexy. It's silky. It's silky Shankland. It's why I kind of think, you know, if I was to have a dream five-a-side football team, like of all time, I reckon he'd be up there. Like no, Ali McCoist, not having him. I would have Shankland <laughs> up front. Shankland up front in my dream five-a-side. <laughs> and uh, let's have Buffon in goals. <laughs> and then Maldini centre-half. Centre-half. Mm-hmm. Maldini at the back. Uh, we'll have Messi. And then who else would we have? Yeah, so but, yeah, Buffon, Maldini, Ronaldinho, Messi and Shankland. That would be unstoppable. That is so I I can't argue with that. Shanklin yeah. the best the best of the lot as well, I'd have to say. <laughs> Obviously. For finishing. Yeah, Messi's just creating for him. Yeah, exactly. I always love these questions about like, you know, if you pick like a, a, a dream five aside team, because it's it's impossible to do just straight. So you need to always have a theme, I think. You know, like um I'd I, what a fun one that me and my friends always used to do would be like who would be a uh, five aside or eleven aside, who would be like in your mentalist starting five or starting 11 like because i one of my favorite things about football 
is the characters that are just a bit unhinged um, that are just like, they probably, if they weren't footballers, they'd probably be, you know, in jail or involved in gangs and stuff like that. So for me, that would be like, you know, Jose Luis Chilever. Do you remember the Chilean oh goalkeeper God. that used to take the free kicks and penalties yeah. and all that? Uh, Sinisa Mihailovic used to play for Sampdoria, just an absolute mentalist. More familiar territory in the middle, Gaza and Zidane as a midfield too. I just think it would be sensational. Yeah. And then up front, just for the sheer hell of it, Paulo Di Canio. There you go. Mentalist. Nice. <laughs> a mentalist uh, five. Nobody's beaten that. Nobody has beaten that. It would end up being 3-0, an automatic 3-0 to the, the opposition because <laughs> there wouldn't be enough players on the park to play. Laura, have you got you got any five-a-side players that you'd like to throw in? Do you know, like, people always ask me at work which, like, footballers I've been starstruck by and stuff and who I really want to meet and interview. And I'm, I'm always like, I don't really get starstruck by footballers. Um, and mm. I don't really, like, want to meet my heroes um, and ruin the illusion. But now that I'm working in English football, uh, I keep saying the ones I want to work with the most are the Scottish talent, like the Scottish stars right now. So yeah. I'm just going to go for McTominay, Robertson, Tierney, McGinn and Dykes. Because about, they're nice. about the only five that I'd actually get starstruck by, I think, if I was to end up working with them. So there's no keeper in there, but I'm going with those five and McTominay can do absolutely everything, so he can go in goals. I love that. Definitely bottom of the table, but a good-looking <laughs> team. What can we say? Do you know what? Weirdly, you've you've touched a little note there with me about like meeting your heroes and like not being starstruck and all that jazz. Like It's true Like when you work in the industry, you kind of have to create a barrier when you meet like top top like kind of people or what the media would regard as as um you know top superstars and stuff like that but there are moments where you have to kind of pinch yourself and one of those moments for me and this goes embarrassing very quickly was when I was in the Dakota in Glasgow um working for BT Sport in the Champions League and it was Celtic in the Champions League and Henrik Larson was there who's my all-time greatest footballer in Scottish football <clears throat> because of there's there's not many other reasons why because he's just brilliant. Um, but I met him and Chris Sutton was there and Chris Sutton said to me like go say hi and I was like I don't want to <laughs> and I sat and eventually plucked up the courage to go over and say like, hello Henrik it's a pleasure to meet you and he was really cool he was like how are you doing blah, blah, blah. I was chatting away and I was like loved you growing up I know you've heard that from loads of people and he's like let's get a photo and I was like okay <laughs> and then Chris Sutton went in as well. Yeah, everyone everyone else was like, Chris, you go in as well. And I was like, oh, yeah, Chris, you come in too. Chris was like, oh, thanks very fucking much. And anyway, he's in there. So I get this photograph and uh, Chris is like, put your arm around him. And I was like, I don't want to. <laughs> and then Henrik puts his arm around me and I melt. Oh. I'm like, oh, my God, jelly legs. <laughs> so this photograph gets taken. Anyway, I sent it to my mum and dad and stuff like that. Christmas time comes about. And I swear to God, I couldn't believe I had this big present. And I was like, oh, cool. It was a bit soft. I was thinking it's a jacket or something like that. I rip it open and it's just like a, a blank cushion. And I was like, oh, this is weird. And my mum's pissing herself laughing. She said, turn it round. And I turn it round and it's the printout of the photograph of me, Henrik Larson, and Chris Sutton on a massive pillow. I could get you, actually. I should probably get it so bad. Do you still go to sleep with it? Dreaming no. of Henrik Larson? No, I would never ruin that pillow. Ever. 
<laughs> Do you want yeah, me to bring it in? Because I've got it. <laughs> bring it in. <laughs> right, okay. Right, you ready? Yeah. Right, let's see this, Andrew. Ready? Three, two, one. Oh, <laughs> you can't. Hold on. I need to. I need to unblur. <laughs> I better unblur this. It was actually that was it even better because it wasn't blurred. It was just your face and two blurred out people on the side. <laughs> right, look at this. Wow. That's amazing. It's massive. Look at the size of it. I'm so, yeah, I can't it even think that it's you. That doesn't look like you. That's because I was young, thin, and handsome, Laura. Back in those days. So there's Big Hinky. There's me. And there's Chris. I like it. That's class, man. I, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, uh, I, uh, I don't have any Henrik Larson anecdotes or memorabilia. I'm sad to say. <laughs> I do have though. I do. Have, speaking of like football and heroes, um, because these things do work. I do have a a bottle of Brian Loudrup gin that you might be able to see there. Wow. Uh, did have you did that travel what? with you from Scotland to to yeah. Australia? Yeah, and it's uh, it's all it's signed by Brian Loudrup himself. So, oh, you've drank it as well. So, what well, makes course, it Brian Loudrop gin? Is it just that he signed it, or did he like create the flavor of it? Or, yeah, no, his <laughs> no, his he's yeah, he did. It's a family, um, it's a family venture. So, his son's like the business oh, wow. manager that looks after the stuff. And of course, there are 11 botanicals that make up the flavoring of it. It's very, very pleasant. Um, yeah. Brian Loudrup Gin, a superior assault on the senses. <laughs> I wonder if this is something that we can uh, ask people watching and listening to the show this week. What is the best slash oh, worst bit of football tat you've got around Scottish amazing. football? Can That's it a be question. a Henrik Larson photo pillow or Brian Loudrup signed gin? <laughs> Laura, Laura, what's the best thing that you've got? The best bit of football memorabilia you've got? You must have some stuff. I oh my god, my mind goes blank when you ask me things like this. Have you got like a, a you got sign like top a... or a mug or like a, a an old nineties calendar? The first ever thing I I got signed was like a little um you know the little um red book. Ah, the wee red book. Yeah, yeah, yeah the wee red, red book. Yeah. yeah, getting that signed. Um, it's legendary. By who? I was like, <laughs> by by the Celtic squad. <laughs> so oh, it's wow. like oh, Stefan Mahi signing the uh, the wee wow. read out book. Season one, maybe ninety nine, two thousand. Um, is he still there at that point, Crikey? Ninety nine, two thousand. Yeah. Was yeah. it? Wow. Would have been around ninety eight, ninety nine, maybe. Is that the days of like Reggie Reggie Blinker? Oh God, Simon yeah. Donnelly. Yeah. Yep. Yep. The days when um, um my dad tried to like indoctrinate me as a Celtic fan, so gave me a a six by four <laughs> photo of the team, the squad picture, and tried to teach me every single player, and <laughs> me going, which one plays for Scotland? But but which one plays for Scotland? Because <laughs> I just watched the World Cup in '98, and I was like, I don't I don't care about Henrik Larsson. Which one plays for Scotland? Jackie McNamara. Okay, I like him. <laughs> that was <laughs> that was just my my mindset right from day one. <laughs> Tosh McKinley must have been in that Scotland squad. I he played well. in that opening yeah. game. There you go, McKinley and McNamara. Every little <laughs> game. <of street>. <laughs> <laughs> Football, by the hell. So on this podcast, we do love dramatics, and uh, there was 
well, we've we've spoken about one dramatic finale, which was the Wraith game, but there was another one in League One, though, uh, with my beloved Queen of the South heading for three points, a 1-0 victory, until that was in almost the last kick of the game when uh, a Dundee United goalkeeper who's on loan at Edinburgh City, Rory Adams, decides to score an injury time equaliser. Absolute shocker. But, in the grand scheme of things, pretty incredible for a goalkeeper to to score in only his seventh SPFL game. He's only, what, 19 or something like that? Pretty amazing moment for him. Um, Just wish he could have done it against someone else. Fan of goalie goals, Laura? Absolutely love them. (laughs) Absolutely love it. How many times have we ever shouted that the goalie got up at the end of the game? You're like, what are you going up for? You're never going to do anything. And honestly, it's actually happened quite a few times now. Um, just, Just top drama. I should point out as well that like that was, I think, in 15 matches or 14 matches. That's the first point Edinburgh have ever taken off Queen of the South. That's still probably not going to be enough for them either, but it's just, it's just it is, it's brilliant. It's like one of those things, you know, like a dog on the pitch <laughs> or uh, sprinklers spraying somebody during the warm-up or something like that. It's just like all the great shitty parochial things we love to see not that it's shitty or parochial but like just it's one of those things it's so rare and it's so wonderful and it's like these odd things that happen are like why we love the game <laughs> it's brilliant so fair play to Ruri and hopefully it's uh hopefully he scores a few more that'd be class I mean he's got a better strike rate than a lot of strikers one goal in that, seven games who was that Paraguay bad. goalkeeper you mentioned earlier Rosilio Schilevert, one of the best. I think he had something mad like fifty goals for Paraguay. Oh yeah, yeah, no, he was, he was, yeah, he took all the free. Yeah, go yeah. on, Rudy, start taking some free. Get your free free kick pack practice in. <laughs> That'd be good. In a more serious matter, and uh, kind of changing from the men's game to the women's, the news came out uh, in the week about the Rangers women's team, the the game coming up against Celtic women's team. Uh, the club have taken it upon themselves, or they have been given information that has led them to cancel all of Celtic's ticket allocation for the match. Laura, why, why are you shaking your head? It seems, on the face of it, it's a horrible thing. But if you've been told that some naughty people have some tickets <laughs> and they might do some naughty <laughs> things, is that not a good Good plan. So the reason why the tickets were cancelled is because in women's football, they like to mix the supporters. Uh, there's no segregated area and they like to encourage a kind of family feel to the atmosphere. They kind of like rugby found... then, yeah. Yeah, which in its, I'll touch on this after, but in itself that absolutely blows my mind. Um, I'm not a fan of that in the slightest. Um, <laughs> but the reason they cancelled tickets was because they found out that the Green Brigade had snapped them up uh, to go and take advantage of the fact they can't get to Ibrox on any other game of the season right now. Uh, so they were like, oh, well, we'll go and support Celtic one way or the other and we'll go in this form. Rangers caught wind of this and for safety reasons, they cancelled all the tickets so the Green Brigade couldn't turn up. I think this is utterly ridiculous. For a sport that is trying so hard to try and mm-hmm. encourage fans to go to these games. They're trying so hard to increase the attendances at women's football that they literally give tickets away for free because they want to fill the stands. And now they are actively discouraging fans who want to go to the game and telling them they're not allowed to go. Well, my my only response to that would be is that if there's a concern 
at all, I mean, the risk is far too high. I think the whole concept of, in the women's game, having more of a family-friendly feel about it is the right way that the women's game should be kind of uh, pointing towards a different way of watching football. A Do different you think that's way really to going to encourage more fans to go to games? Do, do fans really want a family-friendly, cuddly, cushy, cotton wool atmosphere? As a football fan myself, all I want, all I want is to go and watch entertaining football. If, they, if you can take a child to a football match, regardless of it's men's or women's, and it's just enjoyable, entertaining football, it's a good day out, that's the way it should be, then the fact that women's football are trying to create a different atmosphere, I think is a is a positive thing and shouldn't just be disregarded. There are different sections of supporters all around the stadium. Finn, we talked about this a lot at Copa 90 when we worked there. There's different fans for different people you can have the ultras you can have the family section you can have the paddy seats of hospitality you can have just your 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 average normal fan who goes and sits in a different stand with their mates um everyone is entitled to go to a football game and experience it in the way they wish so in the same way it's not fair to ostracize i can't say that word (laughs) one set of supporters and say well you're not right we don't want you here it's, they're kind of doing exactly the same thing because they're going, well, we don't want ultras, we don't want the naughty fans, we don't want the atmosphere. Instead, we only want the family section. And they they, they do put a heavy push on we're for young girls and we're for, like, to bring through, like, the female audience and encourage them. But I'm sorry, but see, if you want equality and to be taken seriously and considered the same as the men's game, then you have to embrace all sections of supporters and all demographics and welcome everything that's across football and not just keep it to one specific set type because that Mm -hmm. is going to Mm -hmm. discourage people and put people off i personally wouldn't want to go to a game in that sort of atmosphere it's absolutely no interest to me i can watch that on the tv and have exactly the same experience so you're actively discouraging people when you don't open the doors to every set of supporters and every type of fan Essentially, it's a policing issue, and the police have got this information. They've gone to Rangers, and Rangers have made a call on it. They can't police it. They can't, you know, it would have been a a huge cost to get more stewarding and whatnot. So that's the reason. And if it's what the the league is growing, it's still in its infancy in this kind of growth. And I just think that to protect it now is probably a good thing. I do fear, however, though. You know, where does it end? Where do we change our culture and our society where we don't find these problems anymore? We have to start embracing them. Well, you can't, but, but, but Laura, the whole point of this particular incident is based upon um, information that the police have found out and passed on to Rangers that fans who could cause trouble could be going to the ground. They're, they're just an ultras group. There's absolutely no evidence that they're going to cause trouble just because they go with with banners and, and flags and whatnot and make a noise doesn't mean that that's the group of fans you couple with saying, oh, there's going to be trouble. They're there, they're, their intentions are to go and support their team. I mean, there's been instances that both um, Celtic and Rangers Ultras groups have vandalised each other's stadiums at various points in the past. So it's not without, it's not completely plucked out of the air. But I agree. I, th- I think uh, this particular incident, it's something that 
you're totally right to raise all the issues you have, Laura, but I think it's actually it's just something much more boring and mundane, which is purely it's literally it's a stewarding and policing issue and it's just the fact that the amount of people go into a match day at ibrox it's not they're not going to put on the same level of 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 anything during a match day with the women's team playing at ibrox as you would for for the men's team obviously so it's like the number of people that will be working in the kiosk the number of match day staff the number of stewards the amount of police that that they'll have to to go and do that so I I think it's literally that. And also you've touched on a really good point, Andrew, and it's something where there's not one silver bullet. Like these are societal issues that have been around for a long time. And regardless of what you think about them, I think the fact is like the police, especially police Scotland in the West Coast of Scotland, they tend to be very heavy handed. I think probably unfairly so. I think we can maybe all agree on that. But that's just the kind of, that's their de facto. And if they get a whiff of any potential trouble, they're just like, it's not worth it. Like we just, we would rather eliminate, bring it down to zero possibility of it happening. So that's why they've done it. Yeah, my worry is just, it's seen as a success and they start to creep, it starts to creep into football properly. Um, and they start to go, well, it worked in the women's game. So we're going to implement it here and we're just going to do it. It's the, it's the blanket, no one's allowed in for me. Um, mm. it, it doesn't matter what the game is or what the sport is. It's just, it's the attitude of, well, we're a wee bit suspicious. We don't want anything to go wrong. So do you know what? None of you are getting in. It's just, game's a bogey. And I just don't like that attitude. <laughs> Dramatic shift at the top of the Premiership table, everyone. Rangers are top after, I think it was like a seven-point gap between Celtic and Rangers uh, since September. But after Celtic slip-up on Saturday against Kilmarnock, Rangers were 3-0 winners on Sunday against St Johnston. A St Johnston team who now go, is that three matches in a row, I think, without registering a single shot on target? Against against Rangers? Against Rangers. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, sorry, against against Rangers. But I actually thought they weren't too bad, in all fairness. Rangers were just very, very good and were undone with an amazing opening goal from Mohamed Diamandi. Uh, exciting prospect, Finn, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, for the amount of money that he's going to come in on, I think it's about four and a half million pounds as a transfer fee. That's a sizable outlay, even for a club like Rangers. But he looked really impressive. It was his first start. I thought he did really well combative, drives the game forward, um, kind of looks like the player that Rangers have really missed in there. Naturally left-footed as well. They haven't had many of them in, in midfield, certainly since Glenn Kamara left. So it'll be good. I, it was, uh, yeah, it, it, I wouldn't say stuffy. Just St. Johnson under Levine are so well organised and it, it had to be workman. Like it was quite an attritional mm. game and it was obviously that moment of brilliance from Diamandi and a couple of, Penalties from Tavernier, of course. What's really brilliant to see, because in in September, or really when Beale left after the Aberdeen defeat, the, the league was gone. Rangers had lost three <laughs> games in their opening eight. They had no chance. They were going to be so far off the pace, might not even have finished second. But uh, what I'm wanting to say was just to focus on the job that Philip Clement's done since he came in has been incredible because he's only lost that one game and it was to Celtic. So they're still... Um, 
weaknesses, but it's broadly the same group of players. He's not really, he's brought in a couple of additions in January, but the whole squad looks entirely different. And um, I would still say I, it's just, it's been quite interesting over the course of the weekend, you know, with Rangers going top and so many Celtic fans on Twitter just being like, oh, game's gone, league's gone, get the board out, all of this kind of stuff. But there needs, there's a difference that needs to be made between, I think, um, experience and momentum. And I think fans on both sides are, are losing track of how important both are. Momentum, of course, is important. And I think it would be hard to dis- disagree that Rangers feel like they've got more momentum oh, gotcha. at the moment. But all of the experience lands with Celtic. You know, you've got like John Hartson and Michael Stewart even at, over the weekend were like, Rangers are favourites now. They're not. Celtic have won 12 out of the last 13 league titles, five trebles in seven seasons, including one last year. Like they're the team that again, with mostly the same squad as last season that won a treble, they're the ones with all the experience that have been in this position so many times. And there's still, there's so much football to be played. There's 12 games, that's 36 points on offer. There's like a whole third of the season still to go. It's just, it's really nice to have a title race and to be in this position when really in September, it looked like the league was gone. And I think a lot of people have forgotten what it feels like to have a title race because we haven't had one for 13, 14 years. And it's just, it's brilliant that there's actually something worthwhile following at the top end of the table this season, as well as all the other narratives going on throughout the, the rest of the table and the divisions below. You make, you make a really valid point that we that we have not witnessed a proper title race. The only t- proper title race we witnessed was in the championship last season. It should be celebrated. I do disagree with the fact that you're saying that Celtic are, are still favourites because of experience. I think momentum will always win new titles and the momentum is 100% with Rangers right now. I wouldn't be too surprised at the, basing my information on now, if the next time Celtic play Rangers in April, that Rangers might not have like a eight point gap because Celtic are now going to have, the fact that Celtic now have to pick themselves up to try and go again you sometimes have heard in the past it's always better to be the challenger and to be the chaser because all you can do is what you're doing whereas if you're in the lead you're always looking over your shoulder Celtic having to pick themselves up in the middle of like the end of February I think that's going to be a lot harder to do with a Rodgers who's had over seven months now with the squad I think it's going to be very very difficult for them I mean we're talking about not only Rangers moving top but Part of that reason was because Celtic drew with Kamarnock at the weekend. Celtic losing, sorry, Celtic drawing with Kamarnock isn't actually a surprise. Kelly have beat them twice this season already going into mm-hmm. this game. They went into this game with what was it, a higher XG than Celtic at Celtic Park. They are they're losing the momentum, and that is to me. I don't know about you guys, but that that seems like it's a big mental block. And that they're going to have to properly go over this mental block now. It definitely looks like something to do with mentality, which again, again, I just find bizarre because Celtic have shown so many times over the last number of years through a lot of players that have been there for a long time. Cal, you know, Cal McGregor is a great example. They do have that steeliness, that that mindset, that way to grift and grind out results. But for some reason, over the last number of months, Rangers look to be doing that under Clement, whether they're playing well or not. And most of the time they are playing well, they're getting the results. They're just steadily going and that momentum's building. And Clement seems to be keeping his squad very focused, very level about what they're doing. And it's interesting to to contrast that to, you know, listen to some of Rogers' post-matches and the fan reaction and things like that. It definitely seems like it's not... There's, there's definitely been a mentality shift a little bit over the last number of months. I think Rogers as well, 
you know, he publicly stated that he wanted um, players brought in in January. And I don't think he was really backed in the way that he was probably expecting to be. Rodgers has still got to try and get something out of these players who've been there and done it and bought the T-shirt several times over. But there does seem to be something different in the mentalities between the squads at the moment. So it just would be really interesting to see how it plays out over the next couple of months. When life gives you Clemon, make Clemonade. That's what Rangers are doing. <laughs> go back to the game midweek when Rangers were playing Ross County and had the chance to go top of the table at that point, but obviously didn't score enough goals. What I really liked was when they got the late goal against Ross County, what, a couple of minutes left in the clock, and instead of just going, all right, okay, we've won 3-1, great, points are in the bag, Philippe Clement was actually urging his players, stop celebrating, enough of that, clock's still ticking, get the ball up the pitch and get a fourth goal because we want to go top tonight. And I really, really respect that mentality. 3-1's not good enough. We've got, on a random Tuesday night in February, we want to put the marker down now, today. No day was too soon for him. And I really, really mm -hmm. respect that. But we're talking about this: the, the title race is alive and kicking, but there could be a third team involved. <laughs> Look at Hearts right now. <laughs> Their stats are <laughs> absolutely incredible, aren't they? They are very, very, very good. Mostly, mostly dominated because of one man. But I think the Hearts team as a whole is very good. And they're, they're dominating so well because they have that added value up front with Lauren Shanklin. Because Vargas is pitching in with goals. I know he scored against Sergio Onions in the Cup as well recently. Um, but they are unbeaten in 10 league, ma league matches. They've taken 28 points in the last 30. And Stephen Naismith has to take a lot of credit for that. But just going back on your point, Laura, I know they're closer to Celtic than they are. Is it Kilmarnock in fourth? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so they're so far ahead in third spot. They're not going to catch Celtic, but it's still, it just shows that they're, they're the dominant third Wait, you're third so you're saying, so they're closer to Celtic than they are to Kelly, but you're telling me they're not going to catch Celtic? Yes. So the only way is down? No, the only way... Is exactly is, where they that are. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, the next three games that wouldn't have made that wouldn't have made as much of a catch here song, would it? <laughs> the only way is to stay exactly where you are, baby. <laughs> Look, the next three games are huge for Hearts. They've got Rangers, the Edinburgh Derby, and then Celtic. I just feel that. Maybe they will catch Celtic then. <laughs> hey, in three weeks' time, we could be laughing at what you've just said now. It's just, it's, it's brilliant to see a team have that level of consistency because it's just, you only really normally expect it of Rangers and Celtic throughout a season. And um, you've mentioned all the stats there, like 28 points from the last 30. That's astonishing. But um, it's we touched on it a little bit a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about Naismith. It's... He's, I think he's a far better manager than we've been giving him credit for uh, in a lot of different ways, tactically and things. It, it, there are little subtle things. And he's also, I would say, of, of you know, the the times I've seen Hearts or, or, or the way that they're playing through games, um, they seem to, it's not just, right, we've got our strongest 11 and we kind of go out with that regardless of who we're playing and you tweak it slightly. It's like they kind of have slightly different game plans for different mm -hmm. types of oppositions. Yeah. And tactically like the, the way I've I've noticed that Naismith in particular with substitutions I think he's one of the best managers in the division with the way that he knows how to use his squad and how to try and oh the game is not quite going that way so we'll bring this player on and we'll do this and there's like um new signings like Neuenhoff one of the um 
uh, young Aussie lads that he brought in, in during the summer. It's slightly tweaked his position the way when he's coming in off the bench or playing a different position. He looks more comfortable and is doing a better job in the team when he's, he's coming in. Just one example of many without the squad. That coupled with Shankland, who I, I, I have been critical of, I think, in the past. But to see his career development, that stint that he's gone away to Belgium and come back to Hearts, the last 18 months, he's been without doubt the best striker mm-hmm. in the country of any team He's just been sensational. And the thing's like when the ball lands to him now, you're like, he'll score. It doesn't matter. Left foot, right foot, header, 18 yards out, six yards out. You, you just back him to score. The, he's the striker that... It, it reminds me so much of, and this is going back a long way, but like Ali McCoyston in the 90s, the early 90s, went through a spate of a couple of years where he, I think he scored like, you know, 40-odd league goals over two seasons or whatever. Um and it was just every single week he was scoring at least one, usually a double, some the odd hat trick here or there. And he's just, he's so important and talismanic that when the rest of this Hearts team's functioning and you've got that level of just golden boots up front, it's no wonder that they've been doing so well. But long may it continue. I see Shankland and think he's such a he's a far cleverer player than people give him credit for as well. He links the play so yeah. much. He he can drop deep and he can go out wide and he can be a fox in the box. Like he does so much. His first touch is exceptional. His little kind of like one twos that that's that's match that's really clever match play that he has in the the back in his back pocket. And to think when he was out in Belgium, he was once deployed as a wing back. By the way, <laughs> and he's came back to Scotland and done so well. It's amazing. But yeah, looking at Hearts, I I think. Um, what is it? It's the highest tally. It's the highest tally Hearts have got for a third place side at this point in a season since Inverness, uh, back in twenty fourteen fifteen season. Um, yeah, it's mad. How far could they go? Definitely third. Uh, <laughs> one, one, one for Motherwell fans though. Kettlewell's been in the job a year now. Uh, seventeen wins, fourteen draws, fourteen losses. Um, and Motherwell's last away win was. Uh, at Tyne Castle, but it's been very, very difficult season this time around for Kettlewell. I, I wonder, what do you September. think, like, Motherwell, Yeah, what do you think Motherwell fans kind of think about Kettlewell? Because he wasn't happy with his Motherwell team. The I think the fans have kind of went through a spell of really getting quite agitated, wanting to, to bin him uh, when they were on that really bad run. But I, I have heard that from players say firsthand they they like him they like working with him they they enjoy the the team spirit that he's implemented they like the atmosphere around the club at the moment they are very happy and settled as a unit and that's mm-hmm. so important um i spoke about it kind of during the time of the bad run and i, I say quite a lot about how i don't think the bad run is purely on Ketua. Y- yes part of it was he was very much to blame for a lot of things um, and and still is he's got his faults but there's much bigger issues at the club and he is also falling victim to it um, and that is affecting his season. And I don't think that he is anywhere near in the kind of firing line right now as he was earlier in the season. He got through that dark spell. They're picking up results. They're moving up the table. And I can't believe we're going to say it like based on the, the season they've had, but they could be top six. <laughs> mm. And the result last week against... Aberdeen three each was just I don't know if you guys saw it it was an incredible game of football mm. and I I mean it was essentially four each both teams had a winning goal ruled off 
it was almost a shame that that game didn't have a winner in it because it was such an end-to-end entertaining game. Aberdeen Hibs was a pretty exciting game. It almost had everything in it. To be fair, it finished two all. Um, Martin Boyle with the opener, then Nicky Devlin to make it one all. Then Aberdeen took the lead to two one, and then it was uh, the new boy Emiliano Marcondes who's on loan from is it? Uh, oh, I can't remember where he's on loan from. Oh, Bournemouth. That's it. He's come up from Bournemouth. Um, but yeah, both managers appealing for penalties in this game. Warnock, first of all, I've been waiting for it. He's came out with a few belters, but I knew it was you know, the time was was coming. He says that the foul on Miofsky from David Marshall was manslaughter. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It, he did. He. It was funny listening to his post match because he actually put it in a. It was a very yeah. downplayed way. He wasn't he aggressive. Whether he wasn't angry, he said, was he? He was just like. Yeah, because the, the the reporter asked him about the about the penalty decision, meaning the Nicky Devlin one. Like, do you think it was a handball? And he's like, "Oh, I thought you were talking about the David Marshall one. Well, I just thought it was manslaughter that one." So, it, 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 to be honest, I thought both were penalties. I thought it was a Stonewall handball by Devlin, and I thought Davy Marshall um, left left one on the uh, well. punch. It was uh, oh, it's a proper I, yeah. He got. I mean, we're <laughs> right. keeping it out of context here. He wasn't angry, he didn't actually swing a hook at him, but he properly punched him in the face during that clearance. I think the Majofsky one is more of a penalty than the Devlin one because I'm, yeah. I and I could be wrong here, so you know, anyone who's gonna bash me for the refereeing rules here. But I think it hits above the sleeve for yeah, the handball for, for Devlin. So however, as much as that is the rule written down, the fact that he leads with it uh, and he's putting it towards the ball, I think is a bit cheeky, devious. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's yeah. proper yeah. dodge, proper dodge. But it was, um, I, I think it was an interesting one, especially as you were saying about the Motherwell game finishing 3 0, Laura, and this was 2 2. Um, it kind of made sense because it, it's kind of both of these teams' seasons in a microcosm because I think both Hibs and Aberdeen are pretty good going forward, especially the class of Miofsky is brilliant. We're just talking about Wax and Lyrical, but Shanklin Miofsky, I think, is probably the other great standout striker in the league this season. Um, and and Martin Boyle as well. Oh, just something on Boyle's goal. I don't know why more players don't round the goalkeeper. <laughs> it just completely eliminates any risk and it looks so much better because you mug him off at the same time. So anyway, but just they're really good going forward, those teams. Both of them are absolute howling jobbies at the back. <laughs> like they are the goals they conceded are absolutely abysmal. And even I think Warnock said that and again in his post match, he was just like the goals we conceded were like amateur. Like they're 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 so such poor goals to concede. And 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 it's why both teams are really where they are in the table. And I think they struggle to get any level of consistency. But um there's I, I think I mean both teams will be safe. I think Hibs are they've both maybe got an outside chance of trying to make the top six. They need to start closing out games. I think Warnock alluded to wanting to try and keep clean sheets first and foremost, being solid at the back because he knows that they're good going forward. But he said that was their best performance since he came in, and that's three games now. And I mean, they should be way higher than where they are, Aberdeen and, and Hibs, to be honest. I think both teams on paper have great squads and they're performing way below where they should When you be. look at um, Hibs and Aberdeen, both on 27 points and then above them, 
is is five point five points of difference there uh, with Dundee who are in sixth, who won as well at the weekend, and then you've got St Mirren who picked up two wins and then lost to Livingston. I think it's just it's very tight. Like all it, all it needs is one of those teams to just go on a bit of a run, and it's a shoe in. It's not it's not that um, it's not unfathomable for one of those teams to just push. Even even St Johnston to to some regards could go on a run. Uh, they probably won't, but <laughs> it's it's mad. But uh, the big the big talking point of the weekend we should really mention is uh, Livingston's win against St Mirren. Yeah, I remember a couple of weeks back you both ridiculed me for saying that the um, Livy games weren't a must win, and I said that David Martindale wasn't going anywhere. And now look at where we are. They've just progressed in the Scottish Cup. They're closing the gap at the bottom of the table, and they're playing Ross County next weekend. They could come off the table. It's why we have you on the podcast, Laura. The Oracle, <laughs> well, Laura Brannan. Speaking sense. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> Said no one, ever. <laughs> <laughs> but it just shows you how quickly things can change in this league. So, I mean, yeah, they're playing Ross County again very quickly. Um, and that's going to have a big bearing of things on things. But they've, they've picked up this huge three points. The momentum is going to be massive now after two brilliant results for them in the space of a week. They're now going to go into what is probably their, one of their biggest games of the season on a high. Mm-hmm. That This could be a, a turning point for Olivia. And even if it's not, it doesn't mean they're down. It doesn't mean that David Martindale is going to get the sack. <laughs> well, what is it? I, I, I think... I... I think just on that, like it needs to be a turning point this weekend, though. They need to lean into this kind of sea change that, that's there. Cause we saw last season, remember the amount of times where we were like, oh, Dundee United have actually got two wins back to back or whatever. And you're like, oh, it looks like things are starting to turn around. And then they would fall apart for another six games after that. It's so important just to grasp onto ev- everything that they've got, fight tooth and nail. Doesn't matter if it's like it was a really hard fought maybe slightly lucky 1-0 win. You just need to get those runs on the board and just try and chip away at the teams around about you. I, to me, St Mirren's a great result. It's it's really good. And I, I think because it was not something, it's nine, nine matches and over 700 minutes since Livingston last led at their home ground before that goal went in. Like, it's just, they've it, it's been so backs to the wall most of the season and Martindale's, he looked lost, I think, around about Christmas time. But then, you know, the, the breaks maybe energised him a little bit. He says, oh, I've got fire in my belly back a little bit. They, I, I, It takes a lot of cojones to pull off the cup result they did when they were 2-0 down away to Partick Thistle and to, to get through in that. And then to hang on and beat a team like St Mirren mm-hmm. is huge. And you're absolutely right, Laura, but it has to be followed up, I think, with a win against County. Um, they, they, they need that. Otherwise, you know, the momentum can slip away quite quickly. Worth again. also mentioning, like a huge performance from Shamal George in the in between the sticks, saving Michael Mandrin's penalty as well. Not to forget that. But yeah, Yenge also a hero for Livingston. Uh, I did mention that Dundee were winners, two uh, 0 against Ross County. So Ross County, it's just a, such a huge game between them and, and Livingston coming up. But should we just rattle through quickly the the lower leagues, guys? Um, starting with you, Finn, in the championship. 
Well, there's only one place to start. We mentioned it already. Top of the table clash, Dundee United, Wraith Rovers. <laughs> like this game had everything. Even like the, the crowd was fantastic as well. And it was Friday night so under good. the lights. It was brilliant. It was two in a row. And there was like scraps and um, tasty challenges going in. I think there was. There was dick in the, in the mouth. Uh, there was everything. Uh, <laughs> dick in the mouth. It had everything. Uh, one of the Wraith social channel put out like there was a massive challenge in the Dundee United goalkeeper and it was like sliding into the weekend or sliding into Monday like this and it was just clattering into play I just it's good and it, I mean that goal to win it was just magnificent we mentioned it at the top of the thing so it's it's great that's all happening at the top of the table but I mean elsewhere there's so much else going on AOG I mean they lost their first game in five at the weekend and then of course the 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 Monica, that we've made famous, the Jaggy Derby. What a game between Cali Thistle and uh, Partick Thistle. Six-goal thriller. Uh, I, I quite like Brian Graham scored his 15th and 16th goal of the season. Ended three each. I, I did quite like the little bit of shithousery he had in his post-match where uh, he'd scored the, a penalty during the game and the Partick Thistle uh, media guy was like, oh, you know, you've actually, you never used to be that good at taking penalties, basically, but now you're quite good at it. And he's like... Uh, I'm probably better now that Ian McCall's not a mayor telling me not to miss them all the time. <laughs> Ian McCall, of course, former Thistle manager now at Clyde, the arch rivals. So I, I just like that little bit of that little dig going in there <laughs> in his post-match. But yeah, championships just always absolutely billboard, billboard indeed. Well, League One's pretty billboard, really, in fairness. It was an interesting start because it was another top-of-the-table clash there because Falkirk were... Um, Winners against Hamilton, they took an early three-goal lead uh, just after, like, or just before, like, half an hour. Hamilton did make a bit of a comeback uh, to make it 3-2, but the Bairns now 11 points at, uh, kind of at the top of the table. Part-timers Aloha, by the way, could be a wee shout for a dark horse for the, the playoff spots. Um, they were huge winners against Cove Rangers, 4-1 victors there. Uh, they went third for the first time. Um, in midweek over the after they beat Annan, uh, and just a special mention for Stephen Taylor, who has been at Alloa all season on loan from St Johnston, and, and has hit a real streak of form recently. He's he's only nineteen, but he could be like a real special player for St Johnston in the future, because uh, he's doing really good things. He he got two goals. He's got, well, he's got four in his last four matches, but he was pretty instrumental in the opening goal against uh, Cove as well. Cove themselves there. Playoff hopes dwindling after seven winless league matches. They're in fifth, though, so you never know. Laura, have you got League Two stuff for me? I do indeed. Stenny, <laughs> miles out in front of everyone else. Just having a laugh at the front. Could afford to just drop a couple of points. They drew two each with Elgin. They're still 16 points ahead, though, so uh, there's no need to panic yet. Um, Spartans, they're still going strong. This is the obviously the highest level of Scottish football they've played at. They're... Um, Going after that promotion place, they're sitting third. Uh, they were two one winners over Strunar, who are struggling second bottom of the table just now. Uh, so yeah, right in the mix of that playoff. Um, and Clyde, we mentioned for them. Um, obviously rock bottom at the table. They enjoyed a rare win, uh, at the weekend over fourth place Dumbarton. Just not all doom and gloom. No, it's not. All right, next one. Well, let's wrap it there. Uh, we're finished again. Maybe we'll be back next week. Who knows? We might get busy, but we will try. But Laura Finn, it's been a pleasure. Go off and have fun. Do something that you enjoy other than this. If anyone is actually still listening to this, go away. Go and listen to something else. Bye.